Blog Talk Radio. everybody and welcome to the Women of Golf show. I'm Ted Rico and joining right alongside of course each and every week is none other than Legends Tour player and LPGA professional Cindy Miller and we are the hosts of the Women of Golf show. Good morning Cindy. Good morning Ted. How are you today? I'm doing well. I'm, I'm actually excited today for a couple of reasons. Obviously it's Tuesday morning and we're getting to do another show um, but the sun has been shining for two days in a row and uh, here down in Florida, so I'm happy that uh, we're not uh, seeing any rain in the immediate forecast, so I'm a little happy about that, but um, enough complaining. Um, Got a great show for you this morning. Let me just remind everybody, of course, we are live every Tuesday mornings from 9 to 10 a.m. Eastern. Uh, For those of you tuning in live, uh, go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash women of golf, or just type women of golf up in the search key, and that will bring you to the main page, and of course, we're live, as I said, each and every Tuesday morning. Uh, and just scroll down that page if for some reason, if you're joining us a little bit later in the broadcast uh, or at the end of the show, and you'll see the on-demand section and the shows uh, previously aired, including today's show, will be there uh, a little bit later uh, for you to listen to when it's convenient for you. Or you can also go to Stitcher uh, or iTunes.com, and in the podcast section, just type in Women of Golf, and that will take you to that uh, respective areas as well. So. Uh, glad that you could join us, those of you joining us live this morning. And also, uh, we'd love to hear from you. You're welcome to call in anytime during our live broadcast, uh, 347-945-5855. Or you're welcome to email any questions or comments uh, to either Cindy or at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. And Cindy's email is cindy at cindymillergolf.com. And I'm not sure we're getting some feedback in in the background, it sounds like uh, maybe picking up a something. I'm not sure. Can you hear that, Cindy? I cannot. Oh, oh okay. It's gone now. Um, any, anyways, um, as I said, we got a great show this morning. We're going to start off with the discussion on the 10 things to know before uh, your first round. And um, then a little bit later on in the show, we're going to be joined by Taylor Babcock. She's an LPGA teaching and club professional. And uh, we'll be joined by her on the second half. So, Cindy, I was uh, doing a little searching last week uh, online, and I came across this um, segment. It was actually something that was done, uh, I think, a couple of years ago in the Golf Digest magazine. It was called The 10 Things to Know uh, Before Your First Round. So I thought it was kind of interesting, kind of uh, a little bit amusing in some ways, and I just thought we would go through some of these, uh, as many as we can, before uh, Taylor comes on board. Um, just for those, especially for your new golfers out there, beginning golfers that maybe um, don't know what to do or are in situations, so I just thought we would read through some of these. And the first one, um, Cindy, of course, is really, the truth is, nobody really cares how well you play as long as you do it fast. And really what that is a testament to is, is slow play. Um, a lot of golfers, especially new golfers, get out there. They don't know all the rules. They don't know all of the etiquette out there. And, uh, Sydney, I'm sure you've played your pro-am uh, rounds occasionally and had a few players that maybe just weren't quite uh, sure of what to do. Um, talk a little bit about that, how important it is to keep pace of play. Oh, yeah. People absolutely don't care how fast or how well you hit it. And I think an awful lot of people are very concerned that they don't want to look like an idiot, when in reality, you can take a half swing and burn it down the fairway, and no one really cares, but you need to do it quickly, like you said. 
Yeah, th- that's true. Um, Cindy, I think I might have figured out what it is. I think it might be um, on your end. Yeah. Hi, Cindy. Yeah. Okay, that's better. Are you there? I think what it was, uh, you were having a little bit of an issue with your phone, and I think what it was, it was giving me some feedback. I realized what it was. My apologies. I did hear what you said. Um, yeah, pace to play is something that uh, I think a lot of people overlook, uh, especially new golfers. Um, you know, I think you have to sort of play uh, what I refer to as ready golf, and, and meaning that is in a case where, you know, maybe you've uh, hit uh, – you know, you're on seven or eight uh, shots on a hole and uh, you know, there comes a point in time as a new golfer, you need to pick that ball up and move on uh, just to keep the pace of play going um, in order to, you know, to keep, um, uh, keep, keep the pace of play, but also to, to uh, be respectful to your, your playing partners. Uh, and the second one, uh, Cindy, of course, and we get this a lot as well. And that is the golf course is not a driving range. In other words, uh, there's a practice tee area or a range area, and then there's the golf course. And, and even if you're, uh, you know, as they put in this article, you know, even if you're stinking it up big time, uh, save your game analysis and repetitive practice swings for after the round. How many times, Cindy, I'm sure you've seen this as well, uh, you know, they've hit a bad shot and they're spending the next two or three minutes, you know, taking practice shots and, and trying to figure out what they did wrong. What do you suggest to people like that uh, you know, in a case, what do you try to, to get them to do? Well, I typically see them take more practice swings before they hit the ball. And I say, you've got one practice swing and you got to hit it. And then I say, you've got 45 seconds to hit the ball from when it's your turn. If we're playing in a tour event and if not, the golf police come out and they're going to get you. Yep. You're going to have a two shot penalty. <laughs> so I really try to, you know, impose the fact that, you know, it's very, very important that you know what you're doing before you get out there. And there's no reason to have a playing lesson if you can't hit the ball somewhat in the air straight, even with a tee. Um, So they have to be prepared. They think that sometimes they think they can take their leisurely time and it's not a big deal. And then you've got three groups waiting on you behind you with their hands on their hips wanting to shoot you. So I tell them that you have to keep up with the group in front of them. And, you know, as long as you're keeping up with the group in front of you, you're not playing slowly. If, however, there's a hole open in front of you, the golf police are going to be on their way out to find you because you're the one holding up the whole golf course. Yeah. Yeah, and and that's a great point. You know, the thing is, I I guess with a lot of of new beginner golfers out there, again, they don't know the etiquette, they don't understand the rules, and, you know – when you're going out there, particularly for your first time, you want to make sure that you're going out there with somebody that is familiar with the rules and is familiar uh, with pace of play and, and that sort of thing. So you're not holding up everybody on the golf course. And as I said, sort of play ready golf in, in, uh, in the sense that, you know, don't, don't be afraid to, uh, you know, pick up the ball, um, you know, when you start getting up into, you know, close to double digit numbers, because you're, you're just going to hold up the groups behind us. As Cindy, you just pointed out, uh, it's just going to make it a miserable round for everybody. Um, the other thing too is, you know, obviously we want to talk uh, on the golf course. It's good to have some uh, some com- camaraderie, if you will. But you got to um, you want to have fun, but you want to keep the, as they say, the chit chat to a minimum. Um, sometimes talking too much with your companions on the golf course or in your foursome um, can be a, a bit of a distraction, and uh, also takes you away from folks. And you're there to play a game, and certainly you want to have fun and have some conversation, but there comes a point in time, um, you know, where it can be a distraction for a lot of people. And it's also not good to keep you focused. Um, are you somebody that, that likes to talk a lot uh, when you're playing, Cindy, or are you um, more like a Nicholas style where you, you stay focused on, on what you do out there? I think I would say I'm a little bit in between both of those. But, again, I don't know that beginners are aware of how many things their brain has to know to go play. Yeah. And, and we'll use an example of there's a par three that I take the beginners to up here for playing lessons. And you walk up to the first tee, and what I'm thinking about is, okay, what's the wind doing? What's the temperature? What's this really going to play like? This is a downhill par three. 
what's it measure? It's 105 yards, but it's probably 100 because it's five yards downhill. What club do I hit 100 yards? Do I want to land it in the middle of the green? Do I want to land it short and let it roll up? So all those things need to be going on in your head, and a beginner has no idea what they need to be aware of. And and like you say, yeah. they need to know where to walk, what to do, and even some of the kids that we teach that play in tournaments, when you have a short putt and you say, well, here's what I do with them at boot camp as well. I'll say, all right, we're going to teach you to play as if you're playing in a tour event with tour players, and you don't want them to hate you. So once you hit your first putt, <laughs> you're going to walk up and say, I, I'll mark or I'll finish. And they look at me like, what? Well, you have to state what you're going to do. I'll mark or I'll right. finish. So the person that's next you know, up knows whether or not to get ready to play. And, and so what yes. happens a lot of times is those kids stand really close to the person that's finishing their putt. And, and I say, you've got to get out of their space. They don't want to see you, so you don't want to be on their eye line. You know, you can stand in front of them if they have a visor or a hat because then they can't see you. But they stand so close and hover, and they don't give the, the player enough room to really focus on their shot. They're in their space, if you will. So I, I teach that to everybody that I play with because it's amazing to me how much they don't know, and why would they know it, you know, they're new to this and, and they are not aware. So there's so many things that you have to think that we have to really give them a break and understand that they're going to mess a couple of these up. And they, and they might go home and say, wow, you know, there's a lot to do here. And there is, but if you learn it, it makes it much more enjoyable. Well, and also once you, you know, it, it's like anything, uh, Cindy, with experience. Once you understand the the process that goes on in a, on a golf course, it becomes second nature. It, you don't even think about it really anymore. You just do it out of out of repetition and out of habit, and you learn and ingrain these good uh, skills, if you will. Um, you know, everybody focuses on how well they hit the ball and things, and obviously that's uh, extremely important. You want to have an enjoyable round, and you want to be able to play well. But there's a lot of little key components, like you just pointed out, that are equally as important uh, to have a successful round. And I think that what a lot of players do, especially, as you said, the new be- uh, uh, beginners, they get out there, they don't know what to do, and, and it's very evident because they're all over the place. And this sort of leads into the next one, uh, really what you just said, and that is focusing uh, on your playing partners as much as yourself. So uh, as an example, if somebody's swinging or putting, uh, you need to stop what you're doing and stand still and be quiet uh, and then proceed. So um, you know, as they're in, in their address position or their practice uh, position, um, you need to be conscious of that. You know, stand off to the side, don't be in their line of sight, um, you, know, you know, being a distraction. Um, so, I mean, that's something that's important as well, and, I, and I'm sure you teach uh, a lot of your students that as well, correct? Absolutely, absolutely. And, again, they, I don't think they're aware. You know, they just... No. So it's not... Yeah, they're, they're not... A, right, they're not aware of it, and, and this is something... Yeah, this is something that they, they obviously have to be taught, and you're exactly right. Uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just saying the same thing as you. Okay. <laughs> uh, number five is one that is a bit of a pet peeve for me, especially playing, uh, you know, with, with somebody that doesn't play a lot. Um, and I'll be honest, I think men are far worse at this than, than women are, uh, at least in my experience. Um, but I always tell people if I'm playing with somebody that I know is not going to be um, all that good out, out there in the golf course – bring lots of inexpensive golf balls. And the reason why I say this is you're going to lose plenty. And the worst thing uh, that, again, drives me nuts is when, you know, somebody brings in, uh, you know, a, a few sleeves of, of Pro V1, uh, you know, Titleist uh, balls that are obviously very costly. And the first, you know, tee, they'll slice one into the woods and they're spending the next 20 minutes looking for it because they don't want to lose this expensive golf ball. So, um, you know, this is something too, Cindy, I'm, I'm sure that in, in a roundabout way you probably deal with as well, correct? Yeah, but you know what drives me more crazy? When they hit uh-huh. a bad shot and they don't watch where it goes. 
<laughs> juniors and adults are both guilty of this. They look the, like, oh, and they look the other way, and they have no idea where it went. And so, again, it's your responsibility to watch your golf ball, mark it with a tree, a bush, a piece of grass, a ball washer, a something, so that you know the general area of where it went. Because then they're searching for a ball, and they're nowhere near where they the ball really is because they yep. didn't pay attention and watch it. So, and people, and, and you know, I'll play with people, and I go, "Wow, you got eagle eye." No, I paid attention to where your ball went, and you need to do the same. Right. Thing. Yeah, the one that always gets me is um, with a lot of the amateurs is they'll they'll hit it, and they'll go about fifty yards further down the fairway thinking that they've hit this, you know, in the best of times, you know, if they're hitting it, let's say, for as an example, they're hitting it 250 yards at the best of times, they figure that their bad shot they just hit must have at least gone 250 yards down the fairway before it went into the bushes. So they're, they're about 50 or 60 yards, you know, ahead of where their ball actually went into, you know, out of bounds or out of play or what have you. And when I do find it, they're in awe. It's like shock and awe. They just can't, well, I, I'm sure I hit it further down than that. So, again, it goes to what you just said, pay attention. Um, and this brings us really to number six, Cindy, which is knowing the rules of the game uh, is, is certainly important, but not as important as etiquette. And I think we've pretty much covered that, um, you know, very well. I think you need to, to understand the etiquette. Be conscious of other players, um, not just in your own group, but other players uh, ahead of and even behind you. Um, nothing worse, Cindy, than, than somebody... Uh, you know, in a group behind you hitting balls uh, before you're very far down the fairway. I mean, obviously, I know that doesn't happen very often in a, uh, a, a professional tournament, but we see that a lot of amateur events, uh, and I'm sure that's uh, something that you try to instill to make sure that, uh, that the players ahead and even behind are conscious of one another, not hitting balls. Uh, and if somebody does hit a ball into you or into your area, it's more likely you're playing pretty slow would be my first guess. Would you agree with that? Yes, they're giving you a hint to move <laughs> And or they could be very rude. Ha- so you've got to determine, you know, which is the case. Right. And usually your playing partners, unless they're all the same, will pretty much give you a good indication. Um, this is one, one of my favorites, Cindy, uh, number seven is – um, and I say this to a lot of new golfers. Um, obviously, people want to know how well they're doing out there, but keeping score is is not always necessary early on. Um, you know, until they've had a few rounds, as I say, under their belt. Uh, I think a lot of people add undue stress. You know, they're, they're wanting to, to improve, and I think you need to be conscious of how well you're playing. But I think the first couple of rounds that you go out there, you don't necessarily have to keep score. Just more focus on on how well you're you know, hitting the ball and consistently you're hitting the ball. Um, what are your thoughts there with, with some of your students? Do you uh, subscribe to that theory as well a little bit or no? Absolutely. Score doesn't matter. I, I would just tell them to try to be on the green and par. If they're on the green and par and they two-foot every hole, they just shot 108, and that's not bad. Yes. So, um, no. and, and I, I let them use a tee. Again, we've, told, we've talked about this over and over, but let them use a tee so that they can hit the ball better and take a half swing and they don't even need a driver. It's just let's move down the fairway. Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. And, and, you know, I mean, obviously people want to have an idea and to have a gauge, and, and you can certainly do that. But I think especially, um, you know, when you've been working with an instructor or coach, um, you know, the first few times, just go out there and focus on the things that you've been taught and that you've had the discussion on and forget about, you know, whether you birdie, bogeyed or parred a hole or double bogeyed for that matter. Um, you know, forget about that. Focus on the, the fundamentals that you've been taught, you know, focus on, on some of the advice that you've been given, uh, what to look for when you're navigating around the golf course. The score will take care of itself. I mean, once you um, obviously you're never going to master everything, but once you become uh, better equipped at handling situations uh, that you've been working on, um, the score will take care of itself. Um, that's something that I see. Um, number eight, I-, I know, Cindy, is probably going to be one of your favorites because you- you've mentioned this many, many times on the show, 
and that is you don't have to accept unsolicited swing advice from friends or strangers. I believe you have another phrase for that. The committee of they. Ugh. Yeah, let's let's you know, and yeah, let's refresh everybody. Because, yeah, yeah. So the committee of they yeah. is anybody that's played golf ten minutes longer than you who thinks they know what they're doing and are going to tell you everything you're doing wrong. Um, and and let's start with they might be offering suggestions because you're hitting it terrible and you're driving them crazy. That's probably why they're talking to you because if you're hitting it good, they're not going to talk other than saying good shot. So it's on you to learn what I would call a fairway finder, some way to hit the ball down the fairway, you know, even if it's 50, 60, 100 yards, doesn't have to be long, just has to be straight, somewhat in the air, um, then people will definitely keep their mouths shut. If by chance they can't help themselves and they keep talking to you, what I would say is I really appreciate you trying to help me, but I would like to be the only voice in my head. This is hard enough, you know, as it is, but having two voices in right. my head is only going to make it worse, and I'm only going to hit it worse. Um, but then the onus yeah. is back on you to pay attention to what you're doing and try not to get flustered. And that's why going to play a par three or an executive course is probably the smartest move for your first round of golf ever. Yes. Yes. I, I Yeah, I agree 100%. Um, the other thing that I always try to tell people that can't help themselves and want to give that advice is I always say to them, rather than giving advice, offer encouragement. Um, you know, acknowledge, hey, that was a great shot or that was a good effort or whatever the case may be, as opposed to, well, you should be doing this or maybe if you did this, this wouldn't happen or, or you know, and, and again, I think it's better... Uh, people will accept and receive encouragement much more uh, than they will somebody trying to define, especially, you know, if, if you're working with, um, you know, a golf professional and uh, they're, they're, you know, teaching you something, the, the biggest thing that I find is then the next time your student comes to you and they say, well, Bob on the range told me I should be doing this. And then the next thing you know, it gets into a conversation where you're spending most of your time trying to and sometimes that advice might be the same as yours but you're you're sort of spending most of your your valuable time uh going back and forth debating what somebody else said that may or may not be a professional and you know again i I agree with what you said cindy i think that um you just have to sort of do the best that you can uh for the time being and and wait till you get back with your instructor or coach the next time and if you have questions or issues that you've been dealing with in a, in a particular um, round or session, uh, then that's the time to bring it up. Um, but that's absolutely. Um, yeah, I, I agree with that. That that bothers me. You know, Cindy, even when I go out and practice uh, on the range and I see somebody struggling in that, um, and if they're not familiar with who I am, you know, I don't I don't just saunter over there and and inject. You know, I'll, I'll certainly I may slip them a card or something and say, you know, if you're interested or or what have you. And if they're if they're receptive and they want my advice at that time, then that's one thing. But I don't go over and say, hey, you know, this is what you should be doing because I just think it's very uh, uncomfortable for some people to because um, they don't know who you are, maybe in in that case. Um, number nine, uh, and this is kind of a, a, a I guess a little bit of a silly one, but driving a golf cart is a lot harder than you think. Uh, this is another uh, pet peeve of mine, Cindy. I'm sure you've experienced it with some amateur golfers. They don't know, again, it goes to etiquette. They don't know where they should be driving. And I've seen people parking up literally on the skirt of the green. Um, and <laughs> they certainly don't do it in my group. But, you know, I- I'm sure you've had to have seen some examples of that. That, and, and they don't know where to leave their clubs. They don't pay attention to where's the next hole. So I think the hardest thing about playing, you know, you're absolutely right. Don't drive a cart until you've played with somebody who's driven a cart for you and shown you where to go. But the other thing is to always anticipate your next move. And and yes. when you're new, you have no idea what really goes on. And And to be honest with you, it can be difficult. For not only the student, but the teacher as well to say, you know, okay, here's what we need to do. You almost need to take them out and say, you're going to watch me play 
and I'm going to explain to you where I'm walking, what I'm doing, and why I'm doing that, just to help them, you know, have a couple opportunities to see what you should really be doing out on the golf course. You know, yeah, exactly. You know, I remember years ago um, I was I had gone to Myrtle Beach for for a little short trip with some friends, and we had gotten on the golf course very very early. In fact, we were one of the first groups uh, out there, and of course there was still a little bit of dew uh, on the grass. And I remember that the group in front of us were all over the place with their carts. In fact, on one hole it was very very wide par five. Uh, it was like a pair of uh, figure skaters had done uh, a routine out in the middle of the fairway. I mean, they were all over the place. There were circles. There was this. There was zigzags. And, and this was on one hole. And both carts were going because they're looking for balls, and they're just driving. All, again, they're not paying attention to what they're doing. And, you know, as I'm lining up my tee shot, I'm looking down the fairway, and all I can see is these circles and, and, and so forth from the golf carts because they don't know what they're doing. They're not conscious uh, or, or cognizant of what's going on uh, in their round, and they're driving all over the place. And it just to me, um, you know, it makes for a very unpleasant round when people are doing that all the time. I mean, obviously they didn't damage anything, but uh, so I, I, my suggestion to, to new people is let somebody that's had a little more experience on the golf course drive the first few rounds when you're playing with them and get an idea and watch what they do. And uh, hopefully they're doing everything correctly. And the last one sort of repeats the first one. And that again, goes back to uh, really a summarize is nobody really cares how well you play. If they know you're a first time golfer, they just want to make sure um, that you're doing it fast and that you're playing uh, within um, a, a timely manner. Um, any, anything else, Cindy, that you can think of that you would like to uh, add to that as far as, um, what golfers might want to do the first time they go out. Any suggestions? What I would tell them is that you got to give yourself at least a couple years. You know, if you live in Florida and you get to play all year, maybe a year of concentrated effort. If you are up here with me in the north, you've got to just give yourself a couple of years. You got to learn how to hit the ball. You got to understand what shot. How far do you hit the ball? What club do you use where? What's the difference between a chip and a pitch? How do you learn to lag putt? And that takes a couple of years to get. And then, you know, you can really work on lowering your score, keeping score. But give yourself a break. This is the hardest game in the world, and it takes a lot of yes. investment and time to to learn how to play, And and but it's a game for a lifetime. So, the other thing is, is I would try to find some people that are nice to be with. If you play with people that yes. are always telling you everything you're doing wrong, then find some new friends because they forgot what it's like to be a beginner. Everybody was a beginner once. So I would say give yourself a break and give yourself enough time to get better. Yeah, and, and that's what I meant when I said earlier about offering sort of words of encouragement um, when you're out there as opposed to, uh, always being, you know, hypercritical, especially of new players. There, there's no, in my opinion, there's no bigger turnoff to a new golfer than everybody sort of throwing in their two cents, or as you said, the committee of they. Uh, it's very intimidating as it is to play, and if you've got everybody telling you what you're doing wrong and what you should be doing and that, it almost leaves a bad taste in your mouth to the point, it, not certainly with everybody, but some people, if they're not very strong or thick-skinned, um, it, it's a turnoff. Uh, and it's just like, well, this is just too hard as it is, and, and gosh, you know, and it's just not a pleasant experience. You want to make it, if I know that somebody's playing for the first time, I want to make it the best experience uh, to ensure that they're going to want to come back. And if it's, if it's unpleasant experience, nine times out of ten, they will not come back. So um, on that note, right, yeah, on that note, Cindy, we're going to bring somebody on the show uh, who I'm sure has lots of experience on helping uh, not only people play their best golf, but enjoy and have fun. And uh, her name is Taylor Babcock. She's an LPGA teaching and club professional, a graduate from uh, Barry University with a bachelor's in sports management and minor in business. Uh, she uh, Here's a few of her uh, golf career highlights. So 2012 National Golf Coaches Association, uh, All-American Honorable Mention, uh, 33rd place uh, national player ranking. 
and uh, also uh, all Sunshine State Conference honors, uh, 2012 Division II Academic All-District honors, and uh, also the uh, 2012 Division II uh, Athletic Directors Association Academic Achievement Award, uh, National Golf Coaches Association Scholarship All-American uh, 2010 to 2013, and the Sunshine State Conference Commissioner's Honor Roll uh, 2010 to 13 as well. She's also U.S. Kids uh, Certified Coach, uh, NCAA uh, Collegiate Coach, uh, TPI Level 1 Certified, and uh, also she was the 2014 New England Women's Open Low Amateur and the 2014 Connecticut Women's Low Amateur. So lots of experience here as well. And uh, on that note, Cindy, let's bring out our very special guest this morning, Taylor Babcock. Good morning. Good morning, both of you. Thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks for joining us. We appreciate it. Yes, thank you, uh, Taylor. Uh, Let me just ask you before, uh, Cindy, and then I'm going to let you start uh, things off. I just want to ask you, I don't know if you picked up the last few moments in that, what would you say uh, or what do you try to do with golfers um, that are beginners, that you know are brand new, uh, newbies, if you will, to try and make it the most pleasurable experience so that they do want to come up. Would you agree with what, what we just talked about? Completely. Uh, you definitely uh, you want to have them understand, okay, this is going to be a little bit of a process, but, uh, but how I like to go about it is having them work through uh, a chip swing, and then once they, they understand the contact with the golf ball and getting through that, then, then we can get into a half swing to see it get up in the air and go further and see the excitement from that and then helping them build that into their full swing. Um, and if and if at any point there's something that's going wrong in the full swing, we just bring it right back down to the half swing and uh, and just keeping it, keeping it fun for them, making them understand, well, is the ball playable? Even if they didn't hit it well, is it still going to be playable if you go out? So that's, um, that's mm-hmm. one of the biggest keys because we're not going to hit it perfect. No. No, I wish we could, but, yeah, that's true. Um, Cindy, go ahead and start us off. Let me ask a question. It says here, NCAA Collegiate Coach. Where are you the coach? Um, I actually coached at uh, three different universities in in the past four years. Um, I was two years the assistant at Yale University and then a year down in Tampa at University of South Florida and then – just this past year, I was the assistant at University of California at Berkeley. Um, so I've had so I've had quite wow. the quite the resume for that that time experience. And um, currently, I'm the LPGA uh, assistant golf professional up at Pinebrook in Boston, Massachusetts. And and uh, then in the winter, I'll be headed back down to Florida. So um, so switch little switching career paths, but also a good uh, a good turn as well. Well, that's cool. And where do you go in Florida? Um, I'll be at the Country Club of Orlando, which will be in Orlando, Florida. Nice. That'll be a good. Wow. Yeah, so it'll be it's, it's an all good fit. Um, golf definitely has its many <laughs> avenues. <laughs> yeah, you've certainly had it. Uh, you know, that's one of the nice things, like you said, about that being able to go to different places like that in different areas of the country. Um, Cindy, go ahead, continue on. So let me ask you what, because being at three real good schools uh, as an assistant coach, what did you see or learn about new players coming on a team? What did you observe? Like how committed were they? How dedicated were they? How much did they practice before they got there? Was golf their main sport? Did they play other sports? Were mommy and daddy a pain in the butt? Give us some insight. Um, well, parents parents definitely, they always play the key role in um, in the communication because at the end of the day, you uh, as a college coach, you get you have the kids there for uh, four months at a time, so maybe eight to nine months overall for the year, and you're there you're their go to person. So you're not only the uh, uh, you're not only communicating with the student athlete, but you're also communicating with parents as well, because uh, depending on scholarship or uh, different time commitments or different tournaments that they're trying to play outside of it, um, it's you're there. You're their go-to person. So there's a lot of communication uh, throughout all of that. So um, 
it, it is it is interesting. Even even with jun- even with junior golf as well, uh, you see you see different different types of parents and and different parenting skills and sets. Um, so it's it is it is interesting to see those different personalities. But going to um, going to seeing to seeing new either new beginners or seeing people try and um, try and get on a team and they're they're a freshman coming in and they're going you know okay I've been on my own I've been an individual but now I need to be a part of a collective whole it's not just about me which also translates back into when you're playing as you as you were both were talking about pace of play it's not just about me it's about who else am I playing with who else is in my group um, how do I keep right. my pace of play up so it's really um, in each aspect it's definitely a give and take of um, in college golf, it's okay. How do I? Uh, I need to show up for workouts. I need to not just be if the workouts are at 6:30 a.m. Not just be there at 6:30. You need to be there 10 minutes before because everybody else is stretching. So just learning, learning the small intricacies of of what of what makes a team a team, and then also transferring that over to um, when you're a new beginner or you're playing women's golf or even men's golf, for, uh, for example, just knowing, okay, I have my tee time. I need to be there 10 minutes before. Uh, I need warm-up time and, and all, these, all these little components that we don't quite always think about but uh, come natural to, to us as professionals. Taylor, let me just ask you if, uh, um, a follow-up question, if you will, a little bit um, from a player's perspective. And I'm talking obviously about a junior golfer that maybe uh, hasn't quite gotten to the collegiate level yet, um, but is interesting. What's the process? What's this, the, the steps, if you will, um, for uh, a, a young girl that's maybe interested in, in playing on a collegiate team? What's the process? How do they go about that? Obviously, they're going to be attending college at some point, but what's what's the procedure, if you will? Because I get that... Uh, a lot of people ask that or may not know. Uh, what do they do first? What's the first process? Yeah, the, uh, well, the first process is being realistic about where where your game is and and what uh, and what the team you're trying to play on, or let's say even knowing what type of school you want to be in, whether it be Division One, Division Two, or Division Three. There's there's no right or wrong. It's what fits your your style, Division. Division three doesn't offer um, athletic scholarships, but they do offer academic. Whereas Division one and Division two, you get athletic and academic um, if that were to work in your favor. So it's so it's going about your if if you know that you want to go down that road. And by the way, when we're when we're talking about that, we're talking about a 14 or 15 year old trying to figure out what they want, which which as we know is uh, almost. Right. Uh, it's it's uh it's complex and so so for them it's trying to figure out okay here's what I think I might want but let's start with let's start with um the the state let's say it's uh, I played Oregon junior golf so the uh, it's called the OGA Oregon Golf Association so then you go to the uh, the state's golf junior golf association you start playing those which would be your local tournaments um, and and seeing how seeing how you do within those and then if you feel like you can bring it up to the next level participate in in or try and qualify for um different usga events that they have for juniors or um uh or going from there and then seeing okay well is there's a bunch of different junior tours whether it be the hurricane junior tour uh ajga which is um they're all getting very nationally based uh, in tournaments and being right. able to um, being able to accommodate, which is fantastic. That just shows how much golf golf is growing as well. And then um, and then within U.S. Kids Golf tournaments, um, so it's it's about seeing where where your game is and hopefully having a golf professional that that you know being able to direct you and say, hey, these might be good for you to try and let's see let's see where you end up and let's create goals for you. And that's why that's why having a swing instructor. That's why you see most. Um, most most people have them. They need uh, it helps with direction on if this is something that you want to do. Yeah, and I think the the key word that I that I heard too is being realistic. Um, I think a lot of people, you know, they um, can probably play pretty decently, and but yet there there may be some issues that they may not be 
good enough at this point to play. So I, I like the idea that you encourage them to go and, you know, compete in some junior events and things like that, just to sort of get their chops, if you will. Um, Sydney, go ahead. I know you have some uh, some questions as well. Well, I think it's also important, like you said, for them to start thinking about it when they're 14. I I might even say 13. Um, when you're in seventh and eighth grade, you've got to start figuring out, you know, is golf going to be my number one sport? And if that's the case, do I need to stop playing softball and hockey and basketball and soccer and devote more time? And and that would be determined by where do you fit in and where do you measure up against these players? I tell my juniors all the time, you know, go on different college websites, look at the roster, see what the scoring averages are. And don't just look at the last person on the team because, you know, they may be scoring you know, 82, 83, but the best players at 72. So do you want to be on the team and not play? Or, you know, where do you want to fit in? And I think it's a rude awakening because I don't think the parents or this child understand how much work it really takes to play at a high-level D1 school. But I also don't think they understand what they can get out of it. And it's funny because I, and I'll shut up here in a minute, but, I write a column for the Buffalo News, and this week was my last column, so I picked up the phone and I called my buddy, Patty Rizzo, who is the head women's golf coach at the University of Miami, my alma mater, and I said, okay, what, what is it worth to be able to go to Miami for four years for free? $65,000 a year tuition, room and board is wow. handled, they pay for absolutely nothing, and they get a check for $1,500 a month to do whatever they want with. Yeah, you guys, it's definitely definitely a give and take. Well, and here's the deal. I mean, so she said one of her best players had just emailed her that morning and said, I'm not coming back. I'm going to turn pro. And she was from Sweden, and she said, you know, let me tell you why I get all my players from overseas, because they have national federation teams. So when they're 13 and 14, they try out for these teams. They know what it's like to play on a team. They know what it's like to have workouts, to have fitness, nutrition, to to have uniforms, to commit, to practice, mental games. And we in the United States don't have that. Everybody's on their own, which really puts us behind the eight ball. Did you find that when you in all your experiences? Yeah, I did. Um, I I had the opportunity to um, well, this, uh, more so this this past year at UC Berkeley, the uh, uh, the head coach uh, coach Nancy McDaniel. She um, she has a top. She always has a top program, and so it was interesting for me to see um, more more elite players coming from federations, whether it be, um, whether it be the German Federation or, um, or, uh, there's, uh, there's been others as well in the past, but just being able to see how put together they are and how, how their thought process is much different than let's say mine was when I first started or an American coming in. We, uh, we absolutely, we don't, we don't have that, which does put us at a disadvantage, but I think with, um, with how the how the LPGA is growing and how um, how girls golf is growing as well and and women's golf, I think it's um, I think it's something that hopefully will be looked at, uh, especially with Solheim Cup being such a big thing coming up here. Um, so hopefully that puts hopefully that that conversation gets started and it can put uh, put that on the map. Absolutely. Let me ask you, Taylor. Yeah, Taylor. Let me just ask you on on the on the back of that what Cindy just said, because um, because I'm I'm not uh, familiar with I, I know what you're talking about, but I'm not familiar with why the whys and, and why not. Why does the U.S. and Cindy? I want you to also uh, add in here, but we'll give Taylor the first opportunity. Why does the U.S. not have uh, a similar setup here? Uh, being such leaders in the golf industry for so long, why is it that you know a lot of these international uh, countries offer a program like that. Why is it not being done here? In your opinion, you know that it is. 
it it is a it is a really great question. That's uh, I I don't I don't think that I would be the um, the best to speak to because that's also my question as well. Um, Cindy, I think you have you definitely have much more experience in in that field and probably would be able to answer this one better. I can tell right, you that Cindy. part of it is because. <clears throat> Do you remember having Myra Blackwelder on the program who started America's golf team, Ted? Well, Myra was the head women's golf coach at the University of Kentucky, and it drove her crazy. And she has been diligently working on this for the past seven years to to be able to create a training program for America's golf team. And she is moving closer and closer to getting it approved now that – golf is going to be in the Olympics, to be able to teach kids and start pilot programs in different areas of the country to have select golf teams and be able to train them. But the funny part is, is that the USGA will not approve a child getting free golf lessons. So I don't understand, and I asked this to Patty Rizzo the other day, if the USGA doesn't approve a child getting free golf lessons, then why do they let kids from Sweden and Germany and Spain play in USGA events? They should have lost their amateur standing. And she said, you know, I don't know the answer to that. That's a great question. And she suggested I go reach out to Myra and ask her. So, again, um, <laughs> I personally here, we have started the Pursue Your It Foundation, and we've got 40 – junior golfers that are members of our group where we really try to train them to play and to compete. But Mm -hmm. the foundation can't pay for their lessons. The foundation can pay for their range balls and their green fees, which is what we do. And the parents still have to pay for the lessons. So Myra's really tried to move this forward and she's getting closer and closer, but it's still nowhere near it needs where it needs to be. Um, just on a side note, and uh, uh, Cindy, we might want to get Myra back on the show here in the next little while and maybe get an update on that talk because I think that's a, a worthwhile topic uh, to, to bring back to the show. Um, Taylor, let me just ask you um, a couple things while we're on, obviously, female golf. Uh, promoting female golf at Country Club, what uh, suggestions would you have for uh anyone that's working at a club out there right now that might be listening to the show or uh, maybe uh, some of our female golfers that play at, uh, at uh, country club, uh, any suggestions on how to uh, promote that and, and um, where, where can we go? Yeah, there's definitely different programming fronts that you can do uh, either, whether it be uh, an hour clinic with uh, having your beginner clinic series and having that be one day a week and saying, okay, we're, this is our one day a week, and then I'm hoping that you practice and then sign up again and, uh, and keep going from there. Um, it can also go and, go and be a um, – at Pinebrook, we do a nine-hole scramble. It's called uh, the Wednesday Night Women's League. And so they uh, – so however many women uh, sign up, then we pair them up in that in either a threesome or a foursome, and then they go out and they play a scramble. So it's, it's low pressure – they get to have fun, and then at the end of the and then at the end of the uh, the round, they get to go in, into the 19th hole and um, and just enjoy enjoy the company, enjoy the social part of it. Uh, so, really make really making sure, especially for nine holers, really making sure that that camaraderie and social aspect can be there. Um, I know it's either whether whether it be public or a private course, it is tough to if you don't have that, that women membership uh, or interest. So that can be tough. But if you do have that, then creating, creating different nine-hole formats that, that are fun for not, e- not even just uh, beginners, but you know, intermediate players. And then also um, a few of the women who, who do have better handicaps, they do come and play Wednesday Night League because they are their friends as well. And uh, they were once a beginner too, so they get it. Uh, every everybody's still still learning, and a scramble format is just always fun. Um, and then with eight, and then with eighteen whole leagues, it's even it's even making sure okay, our, we have our ladies member guest day. We have um, uh, we have different. It's 
on Tuesdays it's a it's a weekly format. So however many sign up again, they uh, they all congregate at eight thirty a.m. for some coffee, and then and then we tell them the format that they're going to go play, and they get to go have a fun day on the course. So it's really about um, what what fits your club and, and what fits their needs. And hopefully you can, you can bring that energy and enthusiasm so that they want to participate and they, um, and especially even at, even at whether it be public or private uh, uh, golf course, it's nice to have that female presence from an LPGA uh, staff professional, or if they're PGA uh, right. staff professional, that's uh, that's a female. It just brings, it brings in a whole new different dynamic that, then it lets lets the females a little bit more become at ease and have you relate to them, which which has been huge um, in in my in my in my personal opinion. I'm I'm sure Cindy as well has seen that uh, throughout the uh, throughout countless years as well. Absolutely. How many women do you have in your um, ladies association at your club in Massachusetts? Um, in the in the nine hole league, we have about fifteen to eighteen that that'll switch in and out. Some days, some Wednesdays it'll be maybe ten people show up, but um, or some days it'll be the full the full fledged group. Just depends on also their summer schedule. It's a country club, so golf is uh, golf is around for for that six months. But um, there's also family, and there's the there's the beach. There's also different other activities besides golf um, as well. Um, and then for the 18 holers, we have about we have about the same the same amount around uh, 15 to 20. So it's it's actually a good group of women, a uh, good core group. And then uh, beginners this year has actually increased. We now have uh, we now probably have around maybe around 10 new new women female golfers who are really uh, who are either taking lessons with me or another professional or in the beginner clinics and. And they want to play in that that nine hole scramble league because they know it's low pressure, but they also know that, as you were mentioning before, in like the ten things you should know before your round, it's it's all the things that encompass it: how to drive a golf cart, where to drive the golf cart, um, watch your shot, right, and then and then also being able to keep up with the play a little bit. So it's. Um, it, yeah, so I would say those different as many formats as you can as you can get to, or even if you're offering a, hey, let's here's a get on course clinic. I have three people, three spots that can sign up. We're all going to go out and play. Um, I'll make sure we're we're keeping our pace, and all you have to do is show up, and we're going to learn. That's great. Now, Tell how me, many me... women at your club work? I mean, should you have a, a an evening type league, or is that not really what your membership? You know, does most of your membership the women don't work? Oh, actually, that's a great that's a great point. Um, the uh, the the Wednesday night league, which is the scramble format, uh, where we play nine holes, that starts at four o'clock p.m. on the Wednesday. So, um, and and they know ahead of time when it when it is. Um, so, if it works with their schedule, their working schedule, then that's fantastic. Um, but yeah, I think nighttime, especially nighttime golf, is uh, or evening golf is a lot better and it's uh especially during the middle of the week when it's almost considered off peak time uh and that helps right. with uh that helps with their comfortability as well knowing that it's not it's not a saturday at, at 10 8 8 to 10 a.m where uh where all the guys want to go out and play so it's it's their awesome. time and that's their their league taylor let me ask you a question um because I've, I've been faced with this with this question before, and, and I want to get from your perspective uh, how you would answer this. Um, you know, one of the complaints that I hear from uh, particularly younger women, and I'm going to I'm going to just throw an age range out here, but um, say from 18 to about 34 is uh, in that age range, whatever it happens to be. Um, you know, is when young families are starting out. So there's you know young children. The children are not grown yet. And there's a lot of women that have expressed uh, an interest in wanting to play golf, but can't either work commitments or, or issues, or uh, if they're a stay-at-home mom, they've got little ones in that. Um, is there a way? And I'm sure that so, I know that some of them are, but uh, is there a way that the, the clubs um, need to create an environment that 
these women can get out and enjoy and be introduced to golf um, that they're not having to add the extra expense of getting a babysitter or, or so on and so forth. What's, this, what's, in your opinion, a solution to something like that? What can we do to, to get some of these golfers? Because there's a lot of them out there. You know, that, that would be interesting. I, um, I, I actually I posed the question myself um, to, our, uh, to another head golf professional and just talking. And, and that would be, it would be interesting to see if, um, if that's something that clubs wanted to, private country clubs or whether it be public, if they wanted to offer, uh, hey, here's, here's uh, babysitting from 10 to 12 p.m. Uh, or let's say 4 to 6 p.m. at night uh, just for those two hours and then knowing that you can go to golf. I think, I think that would be interesting. However, how realistic that is, I'm, uh, I'm not quite sure, yeah. but it's always – but it's always nice to explore different different opportunities or, or questions like that because then it gets the conversation started. Well, I know health clubs um, started doing, uh, certainly some of them, not all of them, started doing something like that. And I know that there are golf courses, because I've talked to other professionals that have um, a scenario on their at their facility where the mother and, and you know mom and the kids can do some golf activities. There's lots of that going on. Um, but there's really not an environment where mom can just play and not have to worry about the kids without, again, having that added expense of getting a sitter or waiting till dad's off work uh, and, and doing that. So uh, I just think there's a potential market there for younger females to that maybe would like to play it but just don't have the, the accessibility because of um, family commitments. And I just think that there needs to be some way that uh, we can open up that door for them as well. Yeah, I think it's definitely uh, within within each club or different setting. Uh, it would be it would be an interesting topic of conversation to have with the the general manager of the facility and say, hey, here's here's something that that we can offer, and this would create one not only um, a new revenue stream, but it would also create uh, an opportunity for that individual to then pick up the game of golf and, like the USGA says, play nine. So Absolutely. it would be. Right. So I, I do think I do think you have a great, a valid point in in bringing that that topic up. Well, it, it's like I said, I you know I've had a number of of um, young women who uh, that I've come across and we've talked and I've asked them if they play and you know they have an interest, but it's just you know they've got these other family commitments um, to deal with, and it just it's a matter of getting time. And again, not everybody can afford to. Um, you know, go away for two or three hours and and pay additional uh, babysitting expenses and things like that on top of what it's going to cost them to play. So uh, that's why I was asking that. I just thought maybe if there was something that you currently are doing that that has addressed that that issue. But obviously, it's something for uh, a topic of conversation we're going to have to bring and have uh, another day. But Taylor, Cindy, uh, I want to thank you for for joining us. I can't believe the time's already gone by. Um, but we would love to have you come back again. And I think there's a lot of other things that we can talk about here on the show as well. But thank you very much for joining Cindy and I uh, this morning on the women of golf. Thank you as well for, for the invitation. I very much appreciate it. Thank you, Taylor. All right. And any, yeah, do you want to, is there any way if somebody wants to reach out to you that they can go ahead and do that? If they're interested, if they're up in your area that they would maybe like to uh, contact you and, and maybe talk about helping their game uh, improve. How can they go about reaching you? Yeah, um, that's a that's a great point. My uh, my email is t babcock at pbccma uh, dot com um, up at Pinebrook Country Club. Uh, again, Taylor, thank you very much for joining us this morning. We appreciate it, and we look forward to you coming back and joining us again uh, in the future. Thank you. Thank you very much. Bye bye. All right. Bye bye. All right, that was our very special guest this morning, Taylor Babcock, uh, LPJ teaching and club professional, and, and um, just uh, a lot of great information there, and uh, we're glad that uh, you folks joined us this morning. And Cindy, as always, uh, it's a pleasure. We look forward to bringing you another great show next week, and we hope that you'll come back and join us again. And just remember that we're here to help you uh, learn and draw from our experiences and also our our guests experience. So we hope that you'll continue to, to join and help spread the word 
uh, here at the Women of Golf. But on that note, Cindy Miller and I would like to take this opportunity to thank each and every one of you for joining us this morning and, and uh, again, hope that you'll come back and join us next week. And on that note, uh, God bless everybody, and, and as always, thank you for joining us here on the Women of Golf. Thanks, Cindy. Thanks, Ted. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Bye.